It's time for the Rose Chat Podcast, a podcast dedicated to celebrating the world's most beloved flower, the rose. Join award-winning gardeners Chris Van Cleef and Teresa Byington as they chat with rose lovers and experts from around the globe. With each episode, you'll gain valuable knowledge and insights to achieve the rose garden you've always dreamed of. Listen now as we explore the world of roses. On today's episode, we have Dr. Jim Sproul, who's here to share with us his second profession as a rose hybridizer. For the past 35 years, Jim has been working with roses and has brought many beautiful roses to the backyard gardener. Hey, Jim, welcome to Rose Chat. Hi, Teresa. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, I'm so excited to have you. Now, you've been so successful with roses, it's hard to believe that wasn't your primary profession. So I'm wondering, how did a medical doctor become interested in creating roses? Well, I think it probably really all started out when I was a a kid. I just liked planting seeds. It didn't matter what. And I just had the habit of doing that. Um, My dad and my grandfather both were gardeners. And I think maybe I got a a gene from them. In any case, with roses, though, it started probably when I was in medical school. um, uh, They offered a lottery to grad housing students to apply for a garden space. And I got one. And uh, in addition to planting every vegetable you can imagine, I decided to plant a rose right in the middle of the garden, just one rose. So that was the first one. Wow. I, granting you a garden space, I'm just kind of hung up there. You know, the whole idea of allotments and, and spaces where people can garden. Oh, that just seems like just heaven. So we have you know, stressful, stressful work that you're doing every day, and then you get to retreat to your garden. Absolutely. I, I was just so glad to have it. It was only 12 foot by 12 foot, but getting out there and weeding and watering and and just tending it was really fun. The rose, by the way, was Tiffany. And oh, uh, not being an expert, not knowing anything about roses, I was glad I had selected that one because of its fragrance and somewhat carefree nature. Um, uh, didn't have to do any spraying. Just went out, watered it, and smelled it now and then and enjoyed it. Oh, what a great introduction to roses. That's just perfect. And when you and you're comfortable in that environment when you've had family members who are gardeners and that sort of thing. So I'm so glad you took a chance on Tiffany. Yes. Now I've seen pictures on Facebook of the vast amounts of roses that you're working with. So this is not a small operation that you have there. And I wonder, so how many roses do you usually have that you're working with at any one time? And a number is always a hard thing to come (laughs) up with because there are big pots, small pots, newly um, rooted cuttings and uh, stuff I'm buying, you know, (laughs) wheat potting. Um, But as far as in the garden area where I have lots of pots plugged into a an automated watering system. There are probably about 800 or so. Um, smaller pots that I water by hand, probably another couple hundred uh, seedlings in the seedling benches, you know, thousands. Oh. And um, so there's a lot of stuff to consider and look at. Oh, my goodness. Now, I first heard of you through your work with a lesser known rose because I didn't know what it was at the time, a Halthemia. 
And since many of our listeners may not be familiar either, could you tell us a little bit about the Hothemias? Certainly, yeah. Hothemias are a really exciting branch of the rose family. Um, and they're very unique in that they have this blotch or center eye uh, that's typically darker than the rest of the petal of the rose. I first got interested, I think, well, actually my first introduction to them was in a rose book I was reading when I was considering uh, what I wanted to breed and what parents I might use. And I saw a rose in, and I don't remember the name of the rose book, but the rose was Euphrates. And then the other one was uh, Tigris. These were um, some of the earliest Tulthemias. And uh, Euphrates just it, it drew my eye to the eye. And uh, mm-hmm. I thought, wouldn't that be cool to, to breed roses with these darker centers? This was really early on before I did any real breeding. And uh, the downside of it all was when I read that Euphrates was sterile, I thought, darn. Um, I'd like to breed with that, but it's sterile. It wasn't until a few years later after I'd met Mr. Moore, Ralph Moore, and um, he was very interested in the Holthemias, and that drew me in to them also. Uh, as far as a kind of a background on them, they're uh, Holthemia persica is the species. It's a distant um, part, um, side shoot, so to speak, of roses. And um, I would probably say it's more ancient in terms of rose ancestry. Mm-hmm. And uh, mainly coming from the Middle East area, Afghanistan, uh, um, also in Western Asia, and typically a desert plant. Um, once blooming, very difficult to work with. Uh, it was introduced into roses by the work of Jack Harkness and um, Alec Cocker, uh, Scottish and English breeders back in the 60s, uh, they had the same thought, you know, wouldn't this be cool to get this dark spot in roses? And they were the ones actually that ended up uh, having Tigris and Euphrates as roses that they released. Now, Tigris turns out to be the only link from that those initial first crosses that proved to be fertile. And that's where pretty much all of the Holthemias have come from since then. Mm. Now, you've been pretty successful with Holthemias. Um, tell us a little bit about your Iconic series. So there are several in the Iconic series, but there are only two that I'm proud of. Um, <laughs> plum, Iconic Plum Lemonade and Iconic Mango Lemonade. I think initially... Uh, iconic lemonade and iconic pink lemonade were the first introductions and uh, star roses was pretty excited because nobody had introduced mm-hmm. uh, whole themes yet um, it turned out that everybody was kind of right on the verge of introducing stuff so um, i think that's partly why they introduced those uh, but the mango and plum are really the best in that group because they're healthier and bloom a lot so they have a, a wider uh, range where they could be useful. Well, they're definitely eye-catching in the garden. Very pretty. Now, are they also disease-resistant? Well, that's the thing. The Most of the um, iconic series are pretty susceptible to black spot. They're pretty resistant to powdery mildew. That's a 
fungal disease that I test hard for. Here, most things that get powdery mildew are cold in my greenhouse. Mm -hmm. uh, but back east, there isn't much powdery mildew to be heard of, and black spot is the problem. So um, many of the Holthemia iconic series roses were not very good in the black spot prone areas. However, mango and plum do have decent black spot resistant, though not on the um, order of knockout type roses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, let's go back to the hybridizing process. When you're starting a project, so what are you going to look for in a rose parent? And that's my problem. You know, I, I like all kinds of roses, so <laughs> Me I'll too. pretty much, yeah, I'll use pretty much anything uh, that I like, uh, big or small, uh, exhibition form or not, um, rambling. Uh, but I think the main characteristic that I look for is disease resistance now. And that's initially it was for powdery mildew, but as I learned about black spot being such a problem back east, I started pulling in uh, lots of black spot resistant type roses uh, for breeding. Interestingly, the knockout rose I had heard about when it was first introduced in 2000, bought it that year, uh, grew it for a while, saw powdery mildew on it, and within a year I threw it out. It wasn't until probably 10, 15 years later that I went to Pennsylvania and saw it growing back east in the star roses fields, saw how clean it was compared to others, mm -hmm. foliage on the entire plant. I just, I had to bring it back and that's, um, I was glad that I did. So really cleanliness is what I look for in a parent, but also floriferousness. I think those two things are key in getting a rose that's liked by a lot of people. Absolutely. You know, I want to look out and see flowers all the time. <laughs> I don't want them yes. to take a break. You know, I do love the old garden roses. And so I give them their you know month to six weeks and that's okay that they don't go farther. But I do want roses out there that every time I look out the kitchen window, it's, you know, great. Every time I walk through the garden, I can see. So we Absolutely. do, you know, we are greedy. We, we want all the roses, we want all the flowers. So we appreciate you looking for that. So I'm wondering, you know, you've crossed so many and there's another number that you probably couldn't even tackle, although you could try if you want. But I'm wondering, what's the biggest surprise you've ever had in crossing parents? You know, there are surprises every year and uh, I love going um, in the greenhouse. I have four seedling benches. Uh, they're five foot by 20 foot uh, long and so I can pack quite a few seeds in there and mm -hmm. each spring, each seed that germinates produces a brand new, never before seen rose. Mm -hmm. And although most of them are something like seedlings that I've seen in the past, every year there's two or three that I, I look at and I just say, wow, on their first bloom and just feel so lucky uh, mm -hmm. to see them. Uh, one of the, probably most fun surprises that I had was using one of my favorite uh, parents, Darlow's Enigma. Oh, yeah. uh, I use it mainly as a uh, seed parent. It's a little bit difficult to work with because the blooms are so small mm -hmm. and uh, emasculating it, taking the pollen off so that you can make a cross. You have to do that really early in the morning before it releases pollen to cause a self-pollinated mm -hmm 
you know, hip. Mm -hmm. So um, I was crossing uh, one of my favorite uh, mini holothemias. Uh, it's not introduced, but it's U156. Uh, it tends to produce petite type seedlings. And this cross, gosh, um, uh, and the number is like, I can't remember the number right now, to be honest, but uh, I believe it's W40-2. It's a micro mini, dark purple, and I'll send you a, a photo, Teresa, just uh, so you can see it as well. Oh, I'd love to. Uh, but it's a, a dark purple with a dark eye, and it's real tiny. You wouldn't believe that it came out of Darla's Enigma. Oh, my. Oh, that is shocking, since Darla's Enigma is white. <laughs> right, and it's also pretty big, and people talk about it, you know, sometimes taking over part of their yard. Mm -hmm. Yes, I have, too. Okay. I've put, I've put her in places where, you know, I expect her to do just that. So, um, yeah, and lots of blooms, lots of blooms. Mm -hmm. But that's the fun thing about rose breeding. You can take a rose like Darla's Enigma, cross it with something else, and you'll get something entirely unlike either parent. It, it may have some traits that both have, but still be quite a surprise. So when you, you see that, you walked out and you see this beautiful new thing. <clears throat> so how long does it take for for that um, new, beautiful new rose to grow? So you think, okay, this is something. So is that you know, that first bloom you know, or does it take a process to see um, if this one's going to be stable or this is going to be a favorite? Yeah, so over the years, I've had to readjust my... Um, culling procedure. That's when I eliminate seedlings that aren't going to go forward. For a few years, I was extremely hard on powdery mildew. Anything that had powdery mildew in the greenhouse, I just eliminated. It didn't matter what it looked like, if it was pretty bloom or vigorous or floriferous. that had powdery mildew. That was the first call. Mm -hmm. And I would um, eliminate 90% on the first bloom. So these little tiny seedlings that didn't really have a chance to show themselves. Oh, no. They're just gone, you know, after the first bloom. And since then, I've learned that there are other traits that I need to be careful not to eliminate um, on that first call. Mm -hmm. It turns out that powdery mildew in the greenhouse is a strong um, uh, problem that I'll see. It's, it's something that the conditions in the greenhouse just really promote. Mm -hmm. Roses like um, Sexy Rexy, um, same in the rain and and others that have absolutely no powdery mildew outside for me. When I brought them in the greenhouse to use for breeding, mm. there it is. They have powdery mildew too. So um, I, I guess what that taught me was if there's a little powdery mildew, well, you know what? It's probably going to be okay outside. So mm -hmm. let's not kill it. Um, so, yeah. So now what I try to do is pay attention to color, Floriferousness. I like to see a lot of buds forming early. I like to see after that first bloom, if I liked it, that it produces more side shoots and blooms again. So there's a repeating factor that's a little more, a little faster than what you might see otherwise. But there are so many traits, and it's it's difficult. Usually by the end of the season is when I decide, you know, what goes forward or not. Most are eliminated, usually have about ten to 15,000 seedlings per year. 
and cut that down to about 300 seedlings by the end of that first year. These are then planted outside. But it's uh, it's even tougher outside because uh, um, a lot of those are eliminated the first year that they're grown outside. Oh, boy, you have to be judicious. Uh, that's gonna, That's tough. That's the tough part of the job. I work so hard, and here we are. You're going in the heap. <laughs> that's right. And, you know, some of the crosses, um, I would imagine other rose breeders are maybe similar to me in that you have a much hoped for pairing of two parents in your imagination, seeing something really amazing coming from it. And I've uh, made the mistake of making a new cross like that uh, extensively, you know, repeating the cross over and over and over again, collecting many hips, planting many seeds, and maybe having hundreds of seedlings from that cross, and I don't keep any of them. Uh, some crosses, for whatever reason, just are not um, very productive of um, new seedlings that mm -hmm. are different or um, worth moving forward on. So I I've learned from, I was just going to say, I've learned from that. Uh, it's probably better to do test crosses on the order of maybe 100 to 200 seeds. Um, and then if you get good stuff out of that, repeating it more extensively the following year. Hmm. Such an intricate process. Um, I think I saw somewhere... I don't know, I could have this wrong, but someone had listed all of the roses that came from Julia Child crossings, <clears throat> and most of them looked nothing like Julia Child. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so it really does. You just don't know what you're going to get when you cross them. So anyway, that's the, that's the exciting part. It's just like Christmas probably every time you walk out into your greenhouse. Yeah, there are definitely surprises um, most days, especially early spring when uh, there are brand new seedlings blooming every day. Julia Child is a wonderful rose. Uh, I think a lot of people have used it. Very proliferous, uh, nice foliage. Uh, the buds are just perfect looking, uh, repeat bloom. Uh, the thing about yellow colored roses, though, is that they, um, yellow tends to be a recessive trait. So if you cross a yellow rose, like Julia Child with something pink, it's unlikely you're going to get something yellow again, um, unless there are yellow traits in that pink rose from the, its ancestry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I've noticed a lot of our young gardeners, and we have a lot more. It seems like since COVID, we now know about them. Maybe they were interested before, but since COVID and people were home more, we've just learned about so many people going to the garden. And just the last year, I've heard what a resurgent of interest our young people have in roses. And um, so I've heard of many of these young gardeners that are interested in growing roses from seed. They're interested in that for sure. Maybe they did what you did as a child. They were growing apple seeds and everything else. And they're interested in rose hybridizing. So what would you say to those that think they want to become a rose hybridizer or just getting started? I would say do it. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> it's a, a ton of fun. It's uh, the best hobby I've had. Um, it doesn't have to be hard. I, I think uh, making it easy is key. And that is, you know, starting with open pollinated hips, doing those mm -hmm. first. Most would suggest that's an important step because um, there are some um, 
problems that uh, a new seed planter of rose seeds can come across and uh, it would be better to solve some of the problems and issues that you might come across with open pollinated seeds rather than ones that you've really worked at and crosses mm -hmm. trying to um, produce hips. One of the first steps I recommend in that is finding out what germinates well. Not all rose mothers are alike. Um, you'll find some roses will set tons and tons of hips, produce lots of seeds, and yet the germination rate will be 1% or, or maybe zero even. You can plant lots and lots of seeds and get almost no germination with some uh, roses. Where, where there are other um, roses that produce hips nicely and their germination rates are fantastic. Uh, just lots of baby roses pop up. Uh, and those are the ones you want to start with. So I, I think that's um, what I would encourage. Absolutely try it. Do it. Um, do some exploring on the roses that set hips well. See what germinates well. And then once you've figured out what germinates well and have had some survive, then use those as the mother um, parent for your roses where you'll make crosses. And then use mm -hmm. a, a pollen parent that can complement that mother parent. Now, um, how long had you been working with roses before one of your roses was released to the market? Yeah, it's kind of hard to think back to that. But um, the first introduction really was Honey Dijon. And um, I that seedling popped up, I believe it was 1997. And uh, it, after that, it took about seven years for it to be introduced, which is pretty common and often longer than that. So mm -hmm. if you're wanting a rose to be introduced, you really need to expect that it may take a few years uh, and the reason it makes sense when you think about it to get a rose um, released to the market it first has to be tested by the grower they have to like it and then they have to propagate it to a level where mm -hmm. it can be marketed and introduced so um, roses are have to be cloned uh, that's through either budding or through own root cuttings which is really the standard now is owner cuttings and to build up to a hundred or a few thousand it will take a few years anyway. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it takes some time. Yeah, it does take some time. And I thought, well, our young hybridizers probably need to, to realize um, just keep working, just keep working. But yeah, the cool thing uh, is that, you know, even though you might not have something on the market right away uh, with roses, you can have, seedlings blooming right away. It takes about eight weeks from planting the seed to getting your first bloom. So you don't have to be too patient for that. Mm -hmm. It's not like orchid breeding where it might take three to seven years to get your first bloom. Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. That, that takes patience. Oh, that takes patience. That really, really does. So let's talk about some of the ones you have on the market. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Thrive because <clears throat> this August I was – uh, in New England, and I went to the Elizabeth Park Rose Garden for the first time. And it was not a day to go to the Elizabeth Park Rose Garden. It had been dry, and it was scorching hot. But it was the day that I had. So um, I found my husband a shady spot, and I ran off to ex explore. Beautiful, beautiful rose garden. 
But one of the very first beds that I came to, you know, many of the roses were doing okay, but there was one rose that was, look at me. I am big. I am healthy. I am beautiful. I am covered in bloom. I do not care that it's 94 degrees. And that was Thrive. I'm glad to hear that. It, you know, of course, has done well here and uh, having survived our heat and our conditions. Uh, I think it likes to thrive in the heat. So uh, mm-hmm. perhaps that's why it, it was showing well for you. Um, yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah. I just and, kept looking over at it. I took about you know, 15 pictures of it. I think oh. I sent one of them to you. It was just so pretty. And to see it, you know, we had been dealing with drought at home and it was just so scorching hot through that period of time and things were drying up here. And then we go on vacation and, you know, it's still really hot. And um, so it was just um, a breath of fresh air for sure. And then another one of your roses has gotten a new award. So tell us about um, Pink Brick House. Well, Pink Brick House um, is related to Thrive. Thrive uh, is, I believe, a grandparent. And uh, uh, so like Thrive, it has, we learned um, what, the year before last, that it has really good drought tolerance, uh, low water requirements. UC Davis did a, a a test with a bunch of plants, including many roses, and uh, Pink Brickhouse was one of the best performing roses with low water uh, availability. Uh, so that was kind of encouraging. You know, mm-hmm. now that we're in a lower water use time in California, despite the nice rain we had this last year. Uh, so Yo, I think you did have rain. that may have come from Thrive, but Pink Brick House uh, uh, turns out it has a lot of the knockout type roses in it. It has uh, several. Um, there are quite a few different parents that are sort of coming down through to produce the uh, Pink Brick House or Brick House Pink, and uh, and I think that's contributed to its health. The uh, I think you were mentioning the Arts Award, um, uh, American Rose Trials for Sustainability. It, it did really well um, this year. It's, a, it's awarded for 2024 as a Master Rose. Um, and to get that, you have to, a rose has to do well in at least three of the, I think there's nine test gardens around the country. Mm-hmm. And it did well in four of them. So uh, received that award, which I was really, really happy for. Um, it's a you know pink, bright pink kind of rose. It's floriferous, uh, and it has really wonderful foliage. Um, it's probably not going to be your exhibition rose, but I think it should be a nice garden rose. Um, from the picture, it looks like it has a nice bright yellow center. Is that true? Uh, it, it is. Uh, the it um, in different times of the year, different temperatures, the, the pink and the, the um, warmer center is uh, pretty, uh, pretty nice, I'd say. Mm-hmm. I'm that very happy good. with that ceiling. Yeah, it looks really, really good. So what else do you have coming out um, um, that we can look forward to? So a rose that's out of um, Brickhouse Pink or Pink Brickhouse, and it's You'll see it named both those ways, which is why I keep repeating it that way, um, is a new rose for 2024, um, Power Puff Pink from Star Roses. 
it's a similar color. It's a larger rose, um, a lot more petals uh, blooming in clusters. And I think that one will be a rose that people can show uh, in sprays. Mm-hmm. It's uh, also has some fragrance, uh, and I think most of us like that too. So mm-hmm. that's the, the next um, rose that will be introduced. I've seen pictures of that, and it's absolutely um, gorgeous. We had Star on a few weeks ago, and that was one that they featured was that rose. And it is so, so pretty. So that is that is going to be one that's going to catch people's eye and be beautiful in the garden. Well, thank you. So you grow all of these roses and um, you've immersed yourself in the rose world. So what would be some of your top rose care tips? I think wherever you live... Try not to baby the roses too much. Try not to spray roses if you don't have to. Um, You'll have roses die. You'll have roses get sick. You'll know which ones that you shouldn't grow. You know, Mm -hmm. my sense is always to try to make it easy. If you have to spray and really baby your roses, it doesn't matter where you live. Um, There are some roses where you live that will be easier than others. Find those. I think that's that will uh, give you the joy that you look for in rose growing, and um, you don't have to spend quite so much time uh, caring for them, although you can go out and enjoy them. You can uh, deadhead if you like, um, fertilize if you like, but as much as possible, I would avoid spraying. Um Finding what does well. I just couldn't agree more. I've had some beautiful, and I do mean beautiful roses in my garden, especially the last five years when I've gotten a little more like, okay, um, no, you know, fewer and fewer divas allowed. Um, yeah. <laughs> that I, I've just said goodbye to them. I'll just have to enjoy pictures. Or I'll have to enjoy someone else's because I just don't want to have to give all the care that it's going to take, nor do I want you to be ugly in my garden, or I want you to pass on something to someone else. But we've got so many great testing programs now that are testing these roses regionally, like arts. And so we're coming up with these lists, and it's easy to find. You know, we can talk to um, people in our local rose societies, in the National Rose Society, to help direct us to the roses that do well in our area. And we're just going to be much happier with those. And so learning from what others are doing and what just does well for you just really does increase the joy that you can have in your garden. Absolutely. And I I think especially for the new interest in roses and the new growers, uh, in order to be successful, you, we as maybe more seasoned rose growers would do well to direct them to grow things that grow well in their area without too much fuss. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. But another um, thing that I've been hearing of late, I've had at least three people mention this to me in the last six months, and that is all of the young people are getting interested in some of the older hybrid teas, which oftentimes aren't as healthy, but there were some that were. And you were were talking about Tiffany that had been around a while. Um, So there's a renewed interest in that as well. So... Maybe it's that, you know, a grandmother grew it. And I think a lot of that, you know, we have a lot of the cottage uh, influence and the grandmother influence, I think, in our new gardeners. And so probably coming from that, this is what my grandmother grew and I'm going to give it a try too. 
So there is that. And I love it that roses, you know, are being grown by our young people and they're excited about it. And I, and I totally get the uh, desire to, you know, grow something that your grandmother grew. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we were looking at old pictures from my, my grandmother's house. And it reminded me of the climbing rose that grew there um, that I had taken cuttings of and brought it home and grew it for many, many years. And uh, and I'm sorry to say, ultimately, because of powdery mildew, I mentioned that it's really a problem in our area. I went ahead and uh, ended up getting rid of the rose. And now, you know, now that you know my grandmother and my, even my parents are gone, I thought, wouldn't it be nice to still have that rose, you know? going back to that history. Mm-hmm. There are some things, there are some divas worth putting up with, and we just have to, you know, we just have to plan accordingly, but we just don't always know how important it's going to be to us and, and um, or what's going to be, you know, what, what people are going to remember or, you know, think is special. So yeah. it's just, uh, you know, we just make the best decisions we can. <laughs> So I'm wondering, um, in all the roses in all the world, what are some of your favorites? Well, of course, um, my favorites are ones that I can use in rose breeding. Um, (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I would say probably right now, one of my very favorites that is very difficult to use in breeding because it's not, it doesn't set hips and the pollen is uh, very uh, low fertility, although I have some seedlings from it is the Princess Charlene de Monaco Rose. It's a uh, informal, very fragrant, quite clean hybrid tea from Mayan. And uh, what I like about it is that it has great peduncles so that it um, it, it stands up in a bouquet. Um, and I love many of the David Austin Roses as well, but they tend to, it, it's a little harder to put them in a bouquet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Princess Charlene de Monaco, it, Great color, just amazing fragrance. Uh, so that's been one of my favorites uh, for David Austin. I love The Poet's Wife. Um, I love Gemini uh, as a hybrid tea. It's also mm-hmm. a good seed parent. I mentioned Darla's Enigma, the, the Knockout series, of course, Double Knockout and Knockout. And um, there's others in Will Radler's group that I also love and use. Uh, Love and Peace is a great rose. Um, But then I was thinking my newest rose is one I just potted up about four or five days ago. There's one named Rise Up Ringo. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's a rose coming out of Chris Warner's breeding from England. It's a new Holthemia climber. And um, what I like about the possibility of using that rose is Chris has been probably the best breeder of the Holthemias with regard to disease resistance. And uh, his varieties are definitely, if you're interested in Hulthemias yourself and want to do breeding, uh, using his varieties as part of your parentage, I think would be a smart thing to do. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. Um, I have Easy on the Eyes. Is, is that a Hulthemia? Easy on the Eyes. Yeah, I believe so. It, um, that might, and I don't know all of them that are out there, that might be one of them. Um, uh, Weeks roses, I think Christian. Yeah, it's it. Tom. It's a Tom, Tom Caruth rose, oh. and I'm pretty. You know, it looks like a healthemia. It is so healthy; it never gets sick, and it's very fragrant. So, um, it's it's a sleeper. You know, you just it's covered in these lavender, um, open blooms with um, the the dark center, and um, 
it's beautiful. It's um, very, very healthy here. And we definitely are in black spot country here in the Midwest. Um, and it does not get sick. And it is fragrant. It surprises me. It, the fragrance surprises me. That's so, good to hear that it's so clean, too. Now, the whole, very, theme, the whole theme is as a group, um, there is quite a bit of fragrance in them. You may be familiar with Eyes for You. Uh, that's from England as well. Um, Peter James, I believe, was the breeder. Mm -hmm. And it's also nicely fragrant. Well, we do love our fragrance. You know, I will forgive her a beautiful rose for not being fragrant. That's okay, because there's other, you know, others that are, and there's other flowers in the garden that are. <laughs> but um, it won't stop me from getting a rose. But it is nice. It is nice to to have that fragrance. It, it's so much, I think it's a, it's an emotional thing for many people and it brings back wonderful memories. And uh, so I do enjoy fragrance, but I will forgive a rose if she's beautiful and she's not fragrant, it's okay. <laughs> you know, fragrance is really what drew me to roses after growing Tiffany. And, yeah. uh, and I think without the fragrance in that rose, maybe, maybe I wouldn't have been growing more roses. I don't know. Uh, but fragrance really, for a lot of people, uh, it's it's the first yes. uh, hook, you know, into the yes. hobby of growing roses because it's uh, um, it's very memorable. It is. It is so so much of our memory is tied to that sort of thing. Um, I think now that I look back, I think one of the <clears throat> there were other things that drew me to roses, but I remember I. I didn't have a clue of what was in the hedgerow around my grandmother's property. She was in kind of in town, but there was a big hedgerow. And I remember plums and all kinds of things. It was just a thicket. But after I started growing rugosas, I remembered that fragrance. And I think there must have been roses in that hedge because that was the only time I would have been around anything like that. But as soon as you know, I started growing rugosas, I thought, oh, man that must have been what was there because it took me right back to that time. So it is very special. And I hope we can, you know, at some point, it seems like we're getting and more and more of the new releases are fragrant. So we're kind of getting the hang of that. I know that none of the knockout roses that I remember are fragrant, but, but one of the newer uh, releases from um, Will uh, Radler is bright and shiny. Do you have that one? I do. And I've used it and I love it. It's pretty, it's fragrant, it's healthy. You know, it's a nice one. It's a good big rose. Um, nice glossy foliage and, and, and a nice color too, the bright orangey yellow type color. I think I saw on my Rose Society's list another one from him that's fairly new. Is it pearlescent or? I think it's white, but it's okay. also said to be fragrant. So more and more fragrance is, is happening. So... We're glad about that. I think that's something we all love. Mm -hmm. We're always going to love it. Well, Jim, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks for all your work with roses. Just keep going. We're excited to see what beauties you come up with next. You know, I see so many beautiful pictures that you're putting on Facebook. And I don't know what, you know, if that's something that you're just enjoying at your house or if that's something that's coming on the market. But looks like we have a lot to look forward to. Thank you. So, so good. So good. Um, friends, thanks for joining us today. And to get the latest from Jim, simply follow him on Facebook. And until next time, happy gardening.
You've been listening to the Rose Chat Podcast with Chris Van Cleve and Teresa Byington, expert rose gardeners who want to help you achieve the rose garden of your dreams. Don't miss an episode. Listen anytime on our website at rosechatpodcast.com or listen on the go via the Rose Chat app on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. Share this podcast with your social networks and join us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using the hashtag RoseChat. Join us next time for another edition of the Rose Chat Podcast. The Rose Chat Podcast is a production of the Rose Chat Media Group, Birmingham, Alabama.